welcome to another episode of Free Lunch by the Peak, the podcast where we talk to people way smarter than us about the most important topics in Canadian business, economics, and policy. I'm your co-host, Taylor Scollin, and Sarah Bartnika is off this week. So last week was a big one for the sports world, and I'm not talking about the Super Bowl, which by all accounts is going to set records for audience. I'm actually talking about the announcement by Disney, Warner, and Fox that they'd be coming together to launch a new sports streaming bundle. It'll probably only be available in the U.S. for now, but it's a big shakeup for the sports media world, which has revolved around the cable bundle for a long time. And that cable bundle has driven a lot of the economics in sports. Everything from how much players gets paid to where people can watch games has been driven by that cable bundle. And until now, if you've wanted to legally watch a lot of sports, Cable has pretty much been the only way to go. It's certainly been the most convenient, but this new bundle could change that and make consuming sports look a lot more like how we watch movies and TV on Netflix and other streaming platforms. So to explain what's going on and how it's going to impact the business of sports, Adam Seaborn joins us today. He's the head of partnerships for Playmaker Capital. And a great follow on Twitter at A.H. Seaborn if you care about anything and everything sports media. So, Adam, thanks so much for coming back on Free Lunch. Yeah, good to see you, Taylor. So, day after the Super Bowl, I think the Vegas line on the audience for the Super Bowl was at $122 million, which is $7 million more than the previous record. So, why is the NFL doing so well? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you point out, so that'd be the highest watched Super Bowl. 122 million was around the line. 125 million was how many Americans watched the uh, the moon landing, just to give a little bit of context. Okay. Obviously, a lot context. more Americans exist now than there were, than there were before. But um, yeah, so the NFL is, I mean, a ratings juggernaut. It has been for, you know, years and years. But in the last five years, I think it's really pulled ahead and shown that in a you know, shrinking media environment, the NFL continues to dominate. There's a few factors at play. Uh, just like to get into the weeds on it, a few years ago, uh, Nielsen, who does the ratings in the U.S., did start to include what they call out-of-home measurement, uh, which essentially means that they weren't measuring people that were watching the games at bars or at restaurants, and they added a new measurement tool to include those people. So people inside the industry are like, well, there's a little bit of inflation happening there over the last few years because they had a home viewership. But that notwithstanding, we saw record ratings during the championship games, during the divisional games, during the wildcard games. Super Bowl ratings are not out at the time of this recording. I suspect they'll be over 120 million. Um, the, the NFL has essentially owned broadcast TV. Now they've done a few things in order to you know continue dominating ratings. One is that um, they have partnerships with all the big broadcast channels in the U.S. Right. So when we think about other leagues having you know certain games on cable, certain games on streaming services, and yes, the NFL has Thursday Night Football on on Amazon. The majority of their games are available on the big linear uh, broadcast channels, which are available to the most households for free over the air. CBS, Fox, ABC, ESPN, um, NBC, right? So you have an opportunity to reach the most people. Uh, They've done an incredible job marketing the game uh, for television. Uh, If you look at the NFL over the last 10 years, even going back, you know, 20 years, the rules of the NFL change on a year-to-year basis in order generally to improve the TV broadcast. Hmm. There's been tons of rules to protect uh, the quarterback during the quarterback era of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, you know, becoming the superstars. Less running back play, more quarterback play because the quarterbacks are the stars. Better for TV, higher scoring. Uh, a lot of plays to protect receivers. A lot more holding calls, pass interference calls. Again, higher scoring, 
better TV ratings. They put more money in the broadcast than anyone else. They invented things like, uh, you know, the first down marker going back 30, 40 years to Skycam, that camera that goes around on the cables and goes out behind the quarterback. So they've done so much, I think, to tailor the sport towards TV in a way that other sports haven't. Uh, but it's it's a total you know concoction. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have the solution to why the NFL is number one, but it's a combination of you know tailoring to the TV product, you know owning the media market, really understanding the zeitgeist of America. So obviously for the NFL things are going pretty well, uh, but the same is perhaps not true elsewhere in uh, the sports business, and particularly around media. So I want to talk about this uh, sports streaming bundle that uh, Disney, ESPN, Warner, and Fox announced last week that would basically combine their sports coverage into one streaming app that people can sign up for, like they sign up for Netflix or other platforms like that. Can you just talk about what the impetus for that is and give us a basic overview of how it would work? So the, the deal that you're talking about, the announcement between um, you know, D- Disney, Fox, and, and Warner Brothers Discovery, TNT Sports, uh, to create essentially a, a sports streaming bundle, I would say it's very similar to what they tried to do about 10 years ago with Hulu, Mm. where a bunch of different studios came together and said, okay, there's a huge percentage of the audience that are, you know, cord nevers, not cord cutters, but cord nevers, people that are never going to be part of the paid bundle and paid ecosystem. We got to provide a product for them. Um, And I think that, you know, Disney, Disney Fox and and, and Warner Brothers Discovery are are thinking the same. Uh, Between the three of them, they account for the majority of national sports rights. Yes, there's some games on NBC, right, and CBS. Paramount Plus, uh, CBS is streaming product, and Peacock being NBCs that are not part of this bundle right now. But between the three of them, you're talking about NHL rights, NBA rights, uh, MLB rights, and a handful of NFL rights. It's a huge amount of the sports ecosystem. So, you know, Lachlan Murdoch, the CEO of Fox on his earnings call last week, was talking about, we're not trying to cannibalize the bundle. We're not trying to uh, essentially move people off the bundle and move them onto the sports streaming service. We're just trying to provide a one-stop shop for the people who are, are core nevers and right now are maybe subscribing to four or five different services uh, to try to find something. Now, he has to say that, obviously, because the bundle is still a huge part of their business. Yeah. Uh, and when we say the bundle, we mean like, hey, you're on your Spectrum or on your Comcast. You subscribe and you're paying you know, 150 bucks a month for a whole bunch of cable channels that you probably don't watch and they get subscriber fees there. So they can't cannibalize that business or they, they need to be careful about cannibalizing that business. But I think they've realized that essentially anyone under 35... Uh, once they've gotten off their their parents' cable bundle, uh, they went to college and they never bought cable in their you know college dorm or their frat house. Uh, they've been streamers ever since, and that they probably would have an appetite for a streaming service. Uh, the second thing is that you know Disney and these companies they are bundling companies like they always have been. That's what they've done in the cable business for a very long time. They know how to sell a bundle. They get the idea. So this has been announced. It's supposed to come out uh, in about seven months. So pretty quickly here. It'll be interesting, A, if it launches on time, and B, what price point it launches at. Mm. Uh, but I do think this is kind of a step towards this, you know, rebundling uh, and essentially a reinvention of cable, but just over the internet. About how, how Lachlan Murdoch on the Murdoch. earnings call had kind of has to say, like, this is not going to eat into the cable bundle. Uh, how seriously should we take that? Well, I mean, listen, if, if, it, if it goes too well, if they launch this, let's call it Sports Plus or whatever we're going to call this, this bundle, right? Let's say they launch it and it's $39.99 a month, which is a number I'm just making up, but you know, it could be around there. I think that would probably make sense when you think about the cost of ESPN Plus, some of these other okay. streamers bundled together. Let's call it 40 bucks a month. It could be as high as 50 maybe as low as 30 um, 
if it works too well, they're going to have all this attrition in the cable business, which is still paying them a lot of money. Right. And they're going to have, you know, a total fallout with all the cable distributors, right? With the Spectrums and the Comcast of the world. So it can't work too well, but it needs to kind of be this delicate line between migrating people over to the streaming product and still, you know, servicing the maybe 50 plus crowd that are tied into the cable bundle and probably aren't going anywhere, aren't going to take the time to cancel the cable bundle, don't really see an advantage of saving a few dollars a month to, you know, totally disrupt their current home entertainment setup. Um, so, you know, Lachlan, Murdoch, and, and listen, Bob Iger and and the Disney execs would say the same thing. This is, and we'll see how long this lasts for, but they always say this is not, um, you know, eating into our existing business. This is reaching net new customers. People who are not subscribers to our ecosystem right now in another way, we're going to find new customers here. They've been saying that for a long time. I'm not sure how much longer that can last for, but that is certainly the pitch here. I mean, I, I, I see why it makes sense for a company like Fox, um, which you know doesn't have a, a streamer in the same way that you know, Disney does. I guess Fox Nation, but let's not count Fox Nation. But for someone like Disney with ESPN, when they're already talking about launching their own standalone streaming uh package for sports what's the logic of working with these other media companies to launch something together yeah so espn plus exists right like today espn plus exists espn plus has a whole bunch of different content you can't get like main feed or like what they call like the 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 main espn feed the cable feed via espn plus right now the only way to get the main espn plus feed is to actually subscribe to cable but our espn feed but the espn plus feed does have all, all sorts of content stuff so um, and they have a lot of subscribers. Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, there is a huge subscriber base there. So there's some question about the logic of, um, you know, Disney going in here. Disney's share price has been challenged for the last year or so. Uh, they haven't seen the growth in streaming. They spent a lot of money on streaming, lost a lot of money. Um, and I think that you're essentially taking a few competitors off the table here. So the NBA rights are up, mm. right? If I was the NBA, I would see this announcement and I'd be pretty pissed off. I'd say, well, all of a sudden, like three competitors that all could have bid up the rights for their own platform are just going to work together now. And what? Now I only have one, you know, two less places to go to shop my rights. Um, so there's a little bit of, hey, these sports rights deals have gotten crazy inflated. Um, and meanwhile, our broadcasting businesses have shrunk while we're trying to compete with Apple and Amazon and Netflix now in the sports game. Uh, we might be stronger together as a bit of a you know traditional media bundle business as opposed to each trying to cannibalize one another. Um, C- CBS is still going to be out there with Paramount Plus. NBC is still out there with Peacock. And I think a big reason why NBC didn't join this announcement is that they have a lot of eggs in the Olympic basket. It's an Olympic year coming up. Peacock in the Olympics are like, that is why they created Peacock in a lot of ways is to service that huge Olympic audience. The Olympics is a multi-billion dollar business for, for NBC. It's a huge part of their, their uh, sports business. Um, but going back to this bundle, I think someone like Disney is going to get the lion's share of it. Cause they're bringing the lion's share of the rights over to this bundle. Um, but it's an opportunity to say, guys, we're stronger together versus the kind of, you know, streaming monopolies that exist out there, as opposed to trying to cannibalize you on each other and just driving up the price of sports rights. Okay. That's interesting. So, when they go into negotiations with the leagues, they'll be able to put in one bid rather than competing against each other? Is that the Listen, idea? it's it's unclear exactly how the structure is going to work right now. There was an announcement, a press release saying, hey, we're going to work together. Um, but similar to how Hulu did with entertainment, a bunch of different studios owned Hulu together, and then they would go out and commission TV series or movie rights, and they would essentially act as one buyer going out to the market. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Sports Plus or whatever we're calling it 
goes to market as one buyer and then have the economics on the back end work of the three companies splitting the revenue and filling the profits off that to be determined. Um, to be honest, I'm skeptical about how this will work, right? Like mm. when of these three competitors ever worked well together on a joint product, it does seem a little bit dubious. And I'm also a little you know, skeptical about the regulatory challenges here. I mean, not that long ago, Disney bought all the Fox regional sports networks and the government said you can't have a monopoly on sports and forced them to spin them off to Sinclair Broadcasting, which came Diamond Sports, came Bally Sports and went bankrupt. And we all kind of know what's going on with the regional sports networks. But the point still stands. I, I don't know what the antitrust you know, implications might be for something like this, but I'm not exactly sold that this will 100% happen. Yeah, well, I mean, when you reference Hulu and my memory of Hulu is that it kind of was a mess, like trying to get all these studios to work together. It was you know, a lot of infighting and that sort of thing. I wonder if we're, this is going to pose a similar problem with these different companies who may have yeah, different Yeah, it, it very well may. But I, I do still think the point stands that in order to try to compete with, um, you know, the other streaming companies, the streaming first companies out there, um, they probably should have done this years ago, uh, to be honest, and come together a little bit. Um, you know, the way it's going right now, you know, look at what Apple has done with MLS, global rights deal. Look at what Netflix just did with WWE, a global rights deal for WWE. And, and say what you will about wrestling, in my opinion, it's sports. It's 52 weeks a year, 150 hours of live programming on Raw. It's essentially sports, ad inventory, you know, whatever you call wrestling. But mm -hmm. um, what they've done is these, like, you know, big bundle global rights deals. Uh, I think that you know, the traditional media companies are realizing that in order to have the scale, in order to have the muscle to go out and, and win these bids, they're, they're stronger, the three of them together. Maybe we could just pause and talk about the basic mechanics of how this uh, economy works. Like, who is selling to who? How, how is everyone making money along the way? Like, just walk through that process, because I think it, it does get a little bit complicated. It gets complicated, right? There's, there's a number of intermediaries in there, but, you know, the, the, TV sports business at its core is, is this. A league sells the rights to broadcast their games. So let's call, let's say it's the, the NBA. The NBA says, hey, we have games that are on TV. Uh, if you'd like the rights to broadcast our games, uh, it's going to cost, you know, a billion dollars over five years. Uh, and they go out to a bunch of different TV networks and they say, would you like to spend a billion dollars to broadcast our games? Uh, and the TV networks look at that and they say, okay, well, if I broadcast the games, I'm getting how many games? Okay, I'm getting this many games. And in those games, uh, I expect I'm going to have this many viewers want to watch those games. I'll have this many advertising breaks. I'll also be able to sell this many subscriptions through my cable bundle uh, for those games. And you know, the hope is that if they spend a billion dollars on the rights, they're going to get a billion and one dollars back, right? Uh, that is, at its core, the kind of sports media ecosystem. Now, it gets a little confused because... There's, you know, there's the leagues and the leagues are trying to sell rights to, you know, broadcast companies, let's say like an ESPN uh, and ESPN uh, has a number of different ways that they make money, right? They make money on advertising revenue, which is important, but not their core business. And they make money on subscriber revenue. But when we think subscriber revenue, you often think of, you know, someone like Netflix that's going direct to consumer subscribers, you know, until recently. Uh, Netflix, or sorry, ESPN had no direct-to-consumer business. All their subscribers were coming through cable bundles, and they essentially went to a third intermediary and said to Comcast or DirecTV, all these people, you guys go out and get customers for us, we'll give you the ESPN feed, and you just got to tell your customers to pay us you know, nine bucks a month for it. Recently, ESPNs of the world gotten in this direct-to-consumer business with the streaming platforms, with ESPN+, 
um, and cut out that like cable intermediary, uh, which has changed the ecosystem a lot. Um, so, you know, when NBA goes to Netflix, well, Netflix doesn't then go to a cable subscriber to go get subscribers. Netflix is a subscription business. They know how to get subscribers themselves. Um, but that's the essential mechanics. Sports leagues have games. They have rights. Those games are valuable for a broadcaster because they can drive subscription to watch those rights and drive advertising revenue against that. Uh, do you think we're getting to the point or we will get to the point as more people get rid of their cable bundle where the amount of uh, fees, the fees that the league can charge start to diminish? Like, are the the economics of this sustainable where, you know, the NFL is getting... What is it? A hundred and twenty-five billion. Hundred and ten billion. Hundred and ten yeah. billion dollar ten-year deal or something like that. Is that a sustainable business model in a world where not that many people subscribe to the cable bundle anymore? So, in the past world, in the cable bundle world, sports fans were essentially getting subsidized by non-sports fans. So you had people who were buying cable bundles. And they would say, okay, well, I want I want television in my house, and I gotta you know buy the you know medium tier bundle from Comcast, and that's going to include Animal Planet and HGTV and ESPN and Turner Sports. And I might never watch Turner Sports, or might never watch ESPN, but a percentage of my fee is still going towards those companies. Whereas sports fans were, you know, hey, I pay 150 bucks a month, but I got all of these sports channels. This is awesome, right? So essentially, sports fans were being subsidized by subscribers that were not necessarily watching sports, but because of the bundling, had to pay for sports channels. Now that we're unbundling things, or we have unbundled things, sports fans are starting to realize the real cost of watching sports, of all these sports rights deals. So you have a, you know, if you're just a hardcore sports fan, uh, well, I have to subscribe to all these streaming services. Uh, there's no, you know, non-sports fan subsidizing my bundle anymore. Uh, I'm realizing the full cost. At some point here, and I think we're pushing up against this, uh, leagues are not going to be able to charge as much for sports rights because consumers are just going to say, you know what? I'm now spending hundreds of dollars a month for something that I used to get for, you know, maybe half the price or a third or two thirds of the price. Um, I can't keep subscribing and, and viewership will go down, ad revenue will go down, subscriber revenue will go down. So I think your point is, is well made, Taylor. Like we are getting to a point here where sports rights have been like up and to the right like crazy for a long time. And I think at some point here, um, they need to level off. What I suspect is happening and will continue to happen is it'll be feast and famine. NFL is not going anywhere. NBA, not going anywhere. Major League Baseball has actually had a really good resurgence and their media rights are in a great spot. But I do think that everything outside of those and maybe college football are going to continue to struggle to get the distribution and get media rights deals. And sports fans just might not pay for those things. And you might essentially just end up paying for the big stuff. And, you know, the world where, hey, if I buy ESPN and I get pretty much the worldwide leader of sports and I'm going to get everything in sports that might not exist anymore. Like where are the tennis majors going to end up? What about golf? Mm. You know, we've, you know, golf's got a complicated situation going on right now, but where does it fit in all these bundles? The, the sports that are not, you know, one, two, three in the U S I think are going to at some point here run into a challenge on their rights deals. Interesting. Is there any, I don't, I don't know if this makes any sense at all, but uh, you know, as you're talking about this, it occurs to me that in a subscription based streaming platform, all of these intermediaries that exist in cable start to seem less relevant. Is there any world in which all of the leagues just say like, okay, look, we're going to bundle this together and come to some agreement on what we're going to show and sell that as a subscription? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think about, you know, I've been thinking about this recently, and this is a little bit of just like brainstorming and, and perhaps a harebrained idea. But when you think about you know, what the broadcast companies do really well, right? What NBC does really well, what ESPN does really well. 
They know how to, you know, storytell around sports. They know how to broadcast a live game. They've created a lot of the technology that actually goes into physically broadcasting a mm. game. Um, what they're not amazing at is marketing direct to consumers. They're not great at streaming technology. Um, and they're not great at kind of like reaching that next generation of fans. Someone like Netflix is a technology company, right? They are incredible at actually creating the streaming technology. When they first came out, it was incredible that you could watch, you know, without buffering uh, a full season of a show or full movies. And originally their business was just licensing other people's content. Then they wanted to keep getting competitive. They started creating their own content, these prestige shows like uh, House of Cards or Orange is the New Black. But in recent years, you've seen Netflix actually scale down their original productions a little bit and do more of these licensing deals. And you've had a few networks, you know, license stuff to Netflix. So you've had, you know, something like Suits. Suits is a USA Today show. Like that show was the number one stream show on Netflix last year. That's an old show that's just going into syndication. But Netflix had the reach. It has a streaming business and they understand how to market to people. Um, WWE, again, they had their own service, had their own TV channel. They said, you know what? Let's just go to Netflix. I think you could see a world where a Netflix or someone like that is essentially the home screen for television. Think of them like the Google for television. They're the toll booth. Everything on TV kind of goes through them. It's the main thing on your screen. It's the operating system for your screen. And then everything else is just kind of licensed through there. Where in the past, the operating system for your screen or the operating system for your TV was, again, your cable box, your satellite provider, which, again, were, were clunky technologies that weren't utilizing the internet. They were using you know cable fiber or or satellite dishes. So I think we're moving to a world where there's going to be an operating system for your television, and that company may be Netflix. I know Apple's had designs on doing that, but I don't think they've executed very well. Um, I know someone like Roku would love to be that operating system for your television. Someone like Samsung would like to, too. But I think someone like Netflix could essentially be the home screen for your TV, and everything runs through that. Hmm. That's interesting. It seems like... Uh... You know, one of the, the differences, I guess, between sports and, I guess, other forms of streamed entertainment is that, like, if you're a hardcore sports fan, you want to get everything, right? And this move towards uh, streaming has put more games on more, uh, like, on different platforms, right? So now if you want to watch all of the NFL playoffs, you need Peacock if you're in the States. Uh, and we could talk about Canada in a second, but if you're in the States, you need Peacock and you need Amazon, I think, for Thursday night games. Like, it's it's very uh, fragmented. Do you see those companies who own the rights for sort of one, one-off games here and there, do you see that trend continuing or accelerating? Um, or do you think this is going to become more aggregated under one roof? I think in the short run, that trend is going to continue. So you, you referenced this year, there was a playoff game on Peacock, right? First time, essentially, it was like a streaming-only game. Um, essentially, it was like a pay-per-view game, right? It's almost like a WWE or, right. a, or, or like a UFC pay-per-view, right? It was like, you got to subscribe to Peacock. I mean, obviously, you get a lot more with Peacock than just that game, but you had to subscribe to Peacock to watch that game in the U.S. Um, and a lot of people treated that like, a, okay, it's a four ninety nine pay-per-view for this game. Pissed a lot of people off. was a huge success for Peacock. By the way, Amazon scooped in and decided they're doing that next year. So next year, that's going to be an Amazon game. Uh, that's not going to be a Peacock game. They got outbid. That news broke last week. So um, are we going to see more of that? I think absolutely. I mean, the extracted, the NFL did $100 million in media rights for that one game. Peacock paid $100 million wow. just for the rights to that one game. So uh, I would suspect that other leagues are thinking, how can we do that? The NBA this year launched their in-season tournament for the first time. The in-season tournament had two main purposes. One... 
to create a little bit of excitement early in the year where the NBA, frankly, uh, was having a hard time keeping fans interested early in the season because it just became so focused on the playoffs. A lot of guys, you know, load management, not playing well early in the season wasn't important to the NBA. But second of all, once you create an in-season tournament, you essentially have a nice bundled thing to sell to a new sponsor, right? Or to a new media partner. So next year, will the in-season tournament be uh, exclusive to Peacock or exclusive to Netflix or exclusive to Apple? Probably. And then that's almost like, okay, well, now if I want the in-season tournament, that's another kind of pay-per-view opportunity for me where I'm getting told every time I want to watch my sports as opposed to I'm locked into the cable bundle. I'm not going anywhere with the cable bundle. And I expect that my sports channels are going to have the sports on there. So again, the sports fans are are really getting you know the real cost of watching these games realized down to them. Uh, these media rights deals have to at some point trickle down, down to the consumer. Uh, so I definitely think in the short run, we're going that way. You know, you mentioned sports fans want want everything. Um, I actually think that that's like a bit of a, uh, a misnomer. I think yeah. the sports fans are hardcore about what they want, but they don't necessarily just want sports generalized. And I think what's being lost in this is a lot of people are nostalgic for the bundle. Like, oh, it was so easy when I could just you know, have ESPN and then I had everything. But everything on ESPN was really like a few hours of sports center, talk shows during the day, and then an <laughs> NFL true. game or an NBA game. Like if you were into, you know, Formula One, it was really hard to find. If you were into NASCAR, yeah, it would be maybe on ESPN2. Or if you were into golf, you know, Thursday, Friday rounds were impossible to watch. You could maybe watch the Sundays on CBS. Now, if I'm a golf fan, I can watch every shot of golf very easily. And yeah, it may cost me you know, 20 bucks a month. But if I'm a golf fan, like that's a great deal. Before I was paying 150 bucks a month for a bunch of sports I don't want. So, you know, much like we've seen in the entertainment business, the film business, there's a fragmentation in sports where... If you're a hardcore fan of a certain team or a certain league, it's very easy to get every single thing about that team or league for you in a way that it was hard to in the bundle. Now, the flip side is if you're like a sports generalist and you just want to watch, like, I want to watch the big game. I, I like watching NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs. And I like watching, well, Sunday Night Baseball is good if the Red Sox are playing. And I like, well, it's a Super Bowl. I got to watch that. That's where the consumer who is like that sports mm-hmm. generalist is getting, you know, the, the short end of the stick. And they are really paying a lot more than they used to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about how this all uh, is shaking out in Canada? Because it's you know a very different system here. Um, maybe we could just start with you know what is the the core difference between what's happening in the states and what's happening in Canada? I assume we will not have access to this new Sports Plus or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, like in a lot of ways, uh, you know, like a lot of businesses, Canada comes down to one or two players, right? So. Between Rogers, who owns Sportsnet, and Bell, who owns TSN, that's the majority of your you know traditional sports TV rights in Canada. So it's not nearly as fragmented a market. And usually, what would happen is the leagues go and they say, "Okay, we're going to go sell our, our rights deals in the U.S. and we're going to go do the big negotiations with NBC or CBS or whoever." And then they look at the international rights, and Canada falls into this international rights bucket. Although it's a little complicated because a lot of teams have a, you know, Raptors play in the NBA or Blue Jays play in Major League Baseball. So there's a little overlap with the U.S. It's also complicated because ESPN owns part of TSN. So there's a little bit of like rights deal sharing that goes on between those two. They play nice together. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, TSN is partially owned by ESPN, um, which is why SportsCenter is the same as SportsCenter in the U.S. and all those kind of things. So that deal goes back a long way. But, you know, the current market in Canada... um, despite like many complaints from Canadian consumers, is actually quite a bit simpler than it has been in the US for a while, right? Like today, if you want the NFL, you really just need your TSN package and you will get pretty much every NFL game. You don't need to worry about 
Oh, the Thursday night games on Amazon. I got to flip over to Amazon. No, no, TSN picks up the Amazon feed for you. Um, Sportsnet, you know, very similarly, like it until recently has been, you know, very simple to watch sports in Canada. Um, this this rights deal and the way the trend is going, I think, is generally bad for Canadian cable companies and perhaps complicated for Canadian consumers. Uh, the reason why is that the reason that Canadian broadcasters even exist uh, in Canada and there's not just a U.S. feed coming in. One is CRTC regulation, right? It limits the ability for U.S. broadcasters to just come right into the country. And two, there was a need to essentially, uh, you know, tap into the distribution those companies had. So if you were a league, let's say you were the NFL or the NBA, I mean, there's lots of money to be made in Canada because TSN or, or Sportsnet would pay a lot of money for the rights. They had this huge distribution. They got 10 million cable subscribers. They have the money to pay for rights. Makes a lot of sense to the league. Why would I try to go direct into the country? Now, you know, streaming services are going direct into Canada all the time, right? So when Apple and MLS did their deal, you know, MLS didn't say, oh, well, we need a separate deal for Canada. No, it's a global deal with Apple. They syndicate a few games to TSN, a few big games for Montreal Impact or Toronto FC. But for the most part, all the games are available through Apple and you never need to talk to a Canadian company. Same with WWE and Netflix now. Starting next year, if you're a WWE fan, you'll never need to talk to a Canadian company to watch your WWE. You'll get it direct. Um, I mean, why do we need a Canadian company to be the intermediary for sports uh, if they're just picking up the U.S. feed? If you're broadcasting the game like Hockey Night in Canada and we have a studio there and we have cameras there, of course you need a Canadian company broadcasting the game and getting the rights. But, you know, look at the Super Bowl last night on CTV. Uh, that was just the U.S. feed of the Super Bowl, right? There was no Canadian cameras on location besides, you know, pregame, postgame with James Duffy. But the actual in-show broadcast was just the CBS feed. Um, why would CBS not just say, hell, we can just go right into Canada? It's right there. It's the same language. There's not a lot of barriers to entry. There were in the cable ecosystem with the CRTC and the need for cable subscription to how am I going to build out these networks? But in the streaming era, Netflix has proven that they can dominate Canada. Hmm. Amazon Prime has proven they can dominate Canada. Um, Apple's proven they can dominate in Canada. This new Sports Plus product could come straight into Canada. It could just come right into the country without there being a need for a TSN or a Sportsnet to essentially, you know, toll booth along the way. And so you got, hey, you got to go through us if you want Canada. Interesting. So you think that they'll just, you know, it's a possibility that they'll just start buying the rights for Canada as well as the U.S. and then broadcasting it here. I it very much so, and it'll take a little bit of time because there's rights deals in place, right? The NFL and Bell have a rights deal in place already. The NHL rights deal is up. Like the teams and leagues already have rights deals in place, right? And Bell and Rogers will do their best to, you know, make it complicated to come into Canada, make it, you know, economically unappealing for them to try. But, you know, in the entertainment space, they've proven that there's no need to, you know, work through a Canadian broadcaster to reach Canadian consumers. I'm not sure why the sports space wouldn't eventually follow too. When it comes to sports that are not broadcast in Canada, again, like the Leaf game is not going to get broadcast by CBS and just get fed into the feed. That's always going to be produced by a Canadian domestic company. No questions asked there. But for the majority of other sports, tennis majors, golf majors, uh, NFL, out of market NBA games that don't include the Raptors, we're just picking up a US feed, throwing it into Canada, and Bell and Rogers are taking a little toll booth along the way. Why would they keep paying that toll booth? Yeah, I mean, is there. Do you think that there's a uh, possibility here that Bell and Rogers just get together and say, I mean, they already have their own subscription uh, streaming services. I looked at the price. If you pay annually, it's around 400 bucks a year to get both of them. I mean, that's not bad compared to what you're paying for cable if all you want is sports. Uh, so why not just get together and say, 
look, come to us. We've got everything. We've got hockey. We've got NFL. We've got baseball. We've got everything. We can compete with the Americans on that basis. That that could happen. I mean, they they compete so hard on everything from wireline and cable and cell phone business down to television, yeah. uh, radio. I'd be surprised if you ever saw them come together. And I do think you'd have the federal government, the competition committee uh, come together and say, you are already uh, two companies that I would say Canadian consumers are wary of. You're going to come together and now partner on this. I mean, there's already lots of conversation about why does my cell phone bill the exact same? doesn't matter what company I go to. Internet bill is essentially dollar for dollar the same everywhere I go. Um, I was shocked that the government allowed the Rogers and Shaw merger on the wireline business to come together. So I would be surprised if they ever were to work together in that fashion. Um, but I do think that, you know, without working together on one single product, they will continue to try to say that, you know, in order to reach Canadian consumers, uh, U.S. broadcast companies should be using a Canadian cable operator and Canadian streaming company. Hey, we know we know how to market to Canadians. We have the big user base. You don't want to come into this market, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll probably push the government for some kind of, you know, hey, these people need to be paying an out-of-market tax the same way they have with Netflix and kind of the you know Canadian tax. They need to be paying the Canadian media fund the same way we are. It's going to continue to be a huge argument about you know protecting Canadian domestic media. And, th- and there's an argument to be made there. I'm not suggesting that um, it would be better for Canadians if we just were able to subscribe tomorrow to ESPN+, Plus, right? Uh, I'm not sure it would be necessarily. I think it's important for the country to have a robust media ecosystem and that includes having a sports streaming company that's domestic to the country. I do think that there's some value there, um, but how exactly it shakes out and what's really going to stop uh, a U.S. company from coming in, again, the same way Netflix, Apple, Amazon have, hard to say. Interesting. Okay. So last time you were on, we did a rapid-fire round to wrap up. I've got a couple rapid-fire questions for you in the sports in the talk, sports talk radio tradition. So uh, I love it. Number one, uh, what do you think the price of this new bundle is going to come in at? So I, I think it's got to be high enough that uh, it doesn't become such a good deal. It cannibalizes the cable bill. Uh, I, I like I like like thirty four ninety nine uh, as as a price point. Okay, thirty four ninety nine. You know that's not bad. I would pay for that thirty four. See, that's exactly the I reaction I think you want if you're pricing it. Not yeah. bad. You don't want to, wow. That's a great deal. Yeah. You don't want no <laughs> chance. You want yeah. Okay. Uh, names. What do you think uh, they're going to call this thing? Oh, it's going to be some. It's going to be like Sports Plus or something terrible like that, or like <laughs> you know, na- names are. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last ten years, every streaming company has just thrown plus on their name. Terrible. It's been very unimaginative. To be honest, I give. I'll be give NBC a lot of credit. I think Peacock's the best name of all the names going around. Yeah, I, I mean, they actually went actually. with something creative. It's like tied to. They didn't call it NBC Universal Plus, which they easily could have. I yeah. bet you that idea was floated around. Uh, HBO Max, you know, they tried Ma- HBO Max and then Max. And I think at some point they had a pl- HBO Plus in there or HBO Go maybe. Mm. Yeah, at some point everyone was going Go. So I-, I don't know. I imagine it'll be unimaginative. It'll probably be Plus. Those three companies won't be able to agree on anything, including a name. Yeah, very true. Uh, okay, last, last last question. Big winner, big loser from this deal, assuming it comes together. Who would you who would you rank as the winner and loser? Uh, okay, I'm going to say winner is going to be Fox. Because I will give Fox some some credit here. While everyone's been spending a lot of money going direct to consumer, creating a streaming service, Fox essentially just said, we're not doing that. Fox never created like a Fox Sports Plus. They didn't do any of that. They just kept, you know, hey, we publish sports content. We go through the ecosystem of cable. Uh, and they've kind of just bided their time until something like this came along. And then they're going to have to do a lot less of the development technological lift than they would have if they launched their own product. 
you know, NBC wasted billions of dollars on Peacock, and maybe that's working out for them. CBS, same thing, billions of dollars on Peacock. CBS having a hard time selling right now as well. Fox has just kind of sat there and said, we got the number one show on TV, which is NFL football on Fox. We crush it with that. You know, our cable shows do fine on cable, and we're just going to wait till the time is right to get into streaming. I think Fox is waiting until the time is right. And loser. I think the loser is going to be sports leagues. I think all of a sudden, you know, the TV networks are getting wise and there's not going to be this like upward inflation forever. Is the NBA going to get a huge amount of money for their next media rights deal, like $75 billion? Absolutely. The NBA is going to be fine. The NFL is going to be fine. That's great. But I do think like some college football conferences, some secondary sports, all of a sudden they're going to find that there's a few less buyers in the market and uh, they're not going to get the huge windfall that they were expecting. Okay. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Very interesting as always and a very interesting time for sports. So I appreciate you talking us through it. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. Good to talk to you. All right, well, that's the pod for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all of our past episodes by searching Free Lunch by the Peak wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're at it, please subscribe to get all of our future episodes. And if you enjoyed this, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on Apple or Spotify. It really helps us grow the show. We'll see you next week.